So, so those are a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the process of reading that right now. When, I, when people ask me, you know, what what's, book would I recommend? Uh, if you're a startup CEO or if you're a founder or thinking about being a startup or running a startup, read um, uh, The Hard Things uh, About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Great account of just like the reality of like running a startup and making tough decisions and like the crap that happens and the stress you got to live with and stomach you need to have. Uh, and he's just, he just an enjoyable read. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Greg Spillane, CEO of Fancy. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to their experience and their their fancy investors like Will Smith and Kanye West and Justin Bieber and their campaign on WeFunder right now. They're doing an equity crowdfunding campaign. If you go to wefunder.com slash fancy. Greg, I think where I wanted to go with part two here, there's, there's a couple of subjects. I think the first one is, you know, we talked a little bit about different mentalities around investors and, and with some of the new rules, stuff that's opened up. But maybe even a little bit broader, when you think about when you think about approaching investors, in your mind, what do you feel like are the elements that increase the probability of an investor saying yes? Or flip side, what do you feel like some of the rookie mistakes are? Hmm. It's a good question, man. Simple. It's like you got to be, it's this weird dichotomy between simple and having depth at the same time. Like you have to quickly explain your business model or your value proposition in a way that, that immediately resonates. And I know personally creating pitch decks, I've probably got way too wrapped around the axle of just like every word and every piece and every component and like going into depth on what the product does and how, and then like the investors, you're going to, you're going to lose them, right? Like they're, it's just, they need to kind of understand conceptually what you're trying to do, why you're different, why you're going to win, who the team is like that type of stuff. But then with that being said, you got to know your numbers, man. And, and you got to know your ratios and you got to know your numbers and you got to know your growth plan. And you got to know how you're going to compete and you got to know how you're different. And like, you sort of got to be able to paint this picture of like, hey, here's this big idea, this concept that I have and, and simply explain sort of like the key components of, you know, the problem, you know, how you guys are different, how you're going to get there, who the team is. But then you need to be able to get granular with sort of a little bit more of a step-by-step plan of like, when I take your money, I'm not going to figure out a solution with your money. Nobody wants to invest for you to like figure it out. They want to invest so that you do. So you got to be able to kind of get into that level of granularity at that point of here's how I'm taking this investor money and here's how I'm going to go from A to this goal that you're setting forth in that, in that pitch. You know, I'm, I'm interested in kind of that balance beam you talked about of not fire hosing them with, with stuff that they're going to get the glazed over look in their eyes and yet giving them enough to sink their teeth into to, to kind of get an emotional response on top of their analytical reasoning of it. Any more thoughts about, about how to watch, walk that balance beam in the middle? Yeah. I mean, it, it also depends on who you're invest, you know, you're, who you're raising capital from, right? If you're going to a family office 
for a high net worth individual who's, you know, done well in life and he just, he enjoys, you know, they enjoy investing in, in, in small startups and, you know, their check size is going to be a hundred thousand dollars on average. You could have one conversation and if they like you as the founder and they believe who you are and they kind of get the big picture of the story and you got some traction, you know, they might take a chance on it. Right. And that might go as far as that. And if you go into any type of institutional investor and it's a, it's a larger check size, I mean, the amount of due diligence they're going to do is going to be 20 X, right. They're going to want to see data rooms. They're going to want to see spreadsheets. They're going to have analysts that are going to tear apart your financials and your models. And they're going to come up with their own models, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think to answer that question accurately, you kind of got to understand where you are as a company and who your target um, investor is. You know, I think, I think the hardest, you know, probably the most relevant to people are people looking at to raise angel, right? It's, it's an angel round, you know, maybe there aren't a lot of financials or a lot of detail. It is a little bit more of an idea or uh, a thesis or a hypothesis, and you're trying to raise capital on it. You know, at that point, I think, I think it's, it's like I said, it's, it, it's, it's being high level so that you can quickly get the concept of why this makes sense, get them excited in it, bring some of the different assets that you, you, you brought to the table that are, that make you different or defensible against the other people in the space, but are prepared to get granular in conversation and in questions. In other words, I'd keep the pitch deck simple narrative storytelling. And then behind the scenes, I would have all of that backup information and be prepared to talk in depth based on what questions they ask you and which way they want you to go. So, you know, you guys are in the middle of, of raising it fancy right now. Let's, let's use a couple examples. When you yeah. think about, you know, I'm not a family office, but let's pretend I'm a family office or an angel, right? We're sitting down. You think I might write you a check for hundred grand or a million bucks, something like that, right? Yeah. But we're not talking 30 million, you know, more, more reasonable. Okay. Give, give me some of the, give me some examples of how you do it for fancy right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with fancy, you know, there's a, we see an opportunity in the market from a high level in regards to consumers are more and more attracted to unique, interesting, independent brands with compelling and authentic narratives, right? And, you know, there's more direct consumer brands now than there's ever been. It's like a golden age of the direct consumer brand. It's just so much easier for these really cool, interesting companies to come out. But the question becomes, how do you find it? Where does that exist? Amazon's the 800-pound gorilla. We know that. There's all these different places. But, you know, like you mentioned, you don't know what you don't know. So how do you discover something like the cork uh, cup that's going to be great for somebody who has a, a live edge wood table that you're not going to search for it because you don't know it and that type of thing? So what we do is we curate. That's what we are. We're a curation engine. We work with all these really cool independent brands and, and consumers that are looking to discover, you know, products, accessories, home, home decor types of things come to fancy. It's a very engaging experience. We use, you know, social is a big component of this. People interact with different products, they fancy and, and that brings things to life, right? So that's, that's the pitch. That's the, the high level of why we exist in the world. But when I'm talking to an investor, I think the really exciting part about fancy is the fact that, you know, we're a company that that's raised 120 odd million dollars, right? And we built a proprietary marketplace with that. And we're operating a global marketplace at scale, not something that you can get off the shelf, right? You know, Shopify doesn't have a plugin that allows you to run a global marketplace at scale like we have. We have this data set of, you know, 12 million users 
who who have who've created fancy accounts. We have this organic traffic, you know, I mean, you know, whatever it is on any given month, a million unique people who come to fancy or download one of our apps. There's 2.7 million active installs of the fancy app. We're a 4.8 star rated app in the, the app store, uh, 350,000 Instagram users, a million Facebook likes, right? There's this intrinsic value that just sits on top of that we have that is, as an asset pool that is a startup you couldn't just go out and buy. You couldn't create it. You couldn't replicate it. So now you take the two pieces and you put them together, right? You have a, a, a big e-commerce opportunity because there's an actual need and market for what we do. And then you look at this head start of assets that's been created because of this weird history where we were a billion dollar company that's now worth $12 million on paper. And you go to an investor and you say, hey, listen, you give us a little bit of money here. You're going to own a big stake in this company. Downside risk is pretty low. I mean, if we really, really had to liquidate for assets, you'd probably get your money back just because of the domain name and the traffic. But you look at where our upside risk is and you look at our opportunity to reach that upside. And, and you know, in so many ways, I mean, I don't pitch it just like that. But, you know, when I try to think about the narrative that, that I have come out in my own pitch deck and I tell the world, it, it, it's basically that. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's it's an interesting thing. I'd love to get some of your advice. I'm thinking about because I'm thinking about the same thing in reverse for our for our new REIT I was telling you about for this GraystokeInvestments.com, right? And for us, it it's I'm realizing that I've been overcomplicating it when I talk to people, and yeah. that you know not everybody comes out of the fund industry, so I got to quit using acronyms and stuff like this, right? And and for us, like. I mean, usually when people have been given the opportunity to get involved in a fund, it's only at the investor level, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm finding that I have to explain to people, well, there's two ways to invest with us. There's the investor level, you know, 6 to 10% kind of returns on apartment buildings, just regular REIT kind of money type of stuff, right? Not a guarantee, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But there's right now, there's a chance to get in at essentially the GP level, you know, like come, come partner in at the ownership level with us and- mm -hmm. You don't actually make your money off the real estate. You get a little bit of the fees that we get on every one of these investors who want their six to 10%, right? So as we get, you know, if we're any good at our job and we get lots and lots of investors, now you're getting a little tiny fee on a lot of people. And yeah. hence the reason so many investment, man in fund investment fund managers become billionaires when that starts That's to right. be a lot of people, right? And, yeah. you know, we're trying not to risk everybody's money because instead of, at, at the partner, at the, at the ownership level, rather than living off their cash for our burn rate, we're actually just buying separate buildings and we're only living off the rent so that mm -hmm. if we never get investors, they just liquidate those buildings and get their original capital back. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, there's a, there's a couple different moving pieces there and I'm getting reactions back from friends of like, well, how could, how could owning real estate make the kind of returns that those investment fund managers make? And you're like, I am doing a terrible job explaining this. <laughs> you don't make it off the real estate. You make it because you get fees times, the, you know, potentially thousands of investors over the you know next 15 yeah. years we raise. Right. So just knowing those little bite sizes, any, any like refinement tips you'd give me? Oh gosh. I, you know, I don't, I don't think highly enough myself that I'm going to be able to give you any kind of gold that you're going to take with you. But I, but I know I understand completely what you're saying, right? Like it's, it's funny you were saying that as, as you were talking, I'm like, you know, you should just be like, Hey, have you ever watched a show billions? You know, like, 
you know, because it is that concept, right? Of like the hedge fund manager, like two and 20, right? Like that's where the money comes in. It's like management fees, like funds under asset and, and, and money that's involved in that. It's in many cases, a lot more than the, the individual investor. And that's it. I'm just going to start buying people Netflix memberships and say like, okay. okay, watch a few episodes of this. We well, want to let you in. on That's, that's, you solved all my problems. Yeah. You know, look, I, I think that there's something to be said about that, right? Like I, I, you know, everybody's heard of a hedge fund, right? And I would say that most people like don't even know what a hedge fund really is. You know, it's like something you hear about, like, yeah, there's a lot, I know there's a lot of rich billionaires who are hedge fund managers and don't know what that means. Right. Um, and not that this is a, a hedge fund per se, but it, but you know, you're, you are going to take management fees, right? I don't know how much your structure is, if it's a two and 20 or what it's going to be. We're but- two and 12 and a half, but yeah. Twelve and a half. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's the pitch. Maybe that's the angle, you know, is instead of them feeling like they're investing in a, in a REIT or, you know, they're going to invest in some, some buildings that make them feel like they're investing in a, in, you know, a, a hedge fund, a fund of some sort, you know, what the upside is that. And, you know, you know, you talked about some of the assets. I mean, if you were able to get 5 billion in assets and you're, you're, you know, you're taking two and 12 and a half on top of that, like, that is a lot more money than taking, you know, whatever the dollar amount is and getting your typical 8% return on a, on, on a rental. So yeah, like I said, I don't know if I got any goal for you, but, but I, but I do think that's a really interesting model. And just as you described to me, I'm like, Oh, I could see why I would invest in something like that, where, where I'm not just part of the investment. I'm actually part of the management of the investment. And that, that is more exciting, way more upside. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> well, I, I like, I like the way you said that because I think sometimes, you know, I got my nose too close to the problem, right? I got, I'm nose to nose with the tree in front of me. I don't see the whole forest, right? right? And the advantage of doing, you know, I mean, I wish we had a reggae done already. We probably won't have that. You know, if we, if the SEC approves us, that'll be next year or something, right? We're just doing our accredited for 506C. So it does give me the advantage to, you know, even having this discussion on a podcast would have been illegal until, you know, a handful yeah. of years ago, right? It does give me the ability to do general solicitation and talk about it publicly like this. But, you know, you do make a good point of like, I guess when you say that, I think about that Jack Trout book positioning where he says like, figure out what's already in the customer mind and relate to that. Don't try to, don't try to invent something new and help them understand it. Take something that's already there. Like, you know, seven up did great because they were the uncola and cola was already in their mind. You know? Avis right. did great because, Hertz was already in everybody's mind as the first car rental place and the biggest car rental place. And they come say, we're only number two. So we try harder. And had they tried to say we're number one, people wouldn't have liked it because they said, well, how come Hertz has more locations than you? Right. So anyways, I, I appreciate that. Probably my next question here then is when you think about the appeal of fancy, I mean, I can see going on there right now and feeling like, okay, this would be cool stuff. Like I, I look at all that, like I look at a bunch of those things and I think like my, I would, I would, so I'm an art school dropout before I got into finance and just from like an aesthetic perspective that doesn't look like stuff you picked up at Walmart. (laughs) You know what I mean? You like, we kind of, we all kind of like that individuality. And like you said, like the value of that curation there, I guess my question is, like you said, there is a lot of direct to consumer out there. There has been an appraisal in more of an aesthetic value of like less, but better as kind of a movement. So within that world, how, how do you stand out or what's your philosophy or psychology for continuing to have fancy double down on the success you've already had? Yeah. You know, when we look at, you know, the direct consumer world, you know, and you, you look at companies that have like come out of it, 
right? Like the Allbirds of the world and I mean, you know, Purple Mattress back in the day, like those, you know, some of these huge success stories that have come out of it. There's all these amazing brands. They all go, they are going direct to consumer. But, you know, I think the challenge they face is customer acquisition. Really, really difficult to acquire customers, right? And, you know, you think about digital, which is the number one way these customers are going out there and doing it, or these companies are going out there and doing it. Uh, it's so saturated, right? Facebook, Instagram, Google, uh, there's so much competition. There's such a high cost involved. So, you know, a lot of these brands, you know, are investing a little bit. They're trying to acquire customers and trying to do it profitably. And, you know, maybe you're on your Facebook page, your Instagram page, and something pops up in your feed. And you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's interesting. And you know, click on it and you learn a little bit about it, et cetera. But none of it's like, like we see like a big opportunity there. We think that there's uh, a desire of the brands themselves looking for profitable ways to acquire new customers for one. And, you know, our model is a pure rep split. There's no cost to be on our platform. We do choose very carefully. It's not like Etsy. It's not like eBay where anybody can just go ahead and sell any product they have. Like you, you're vetted and you're a real company and all those types of things. Uh, but then from the consumer perspective, and it's a work in progress, man. I, I, you know, the the site that you see right now, we're actually in the process of doing a complete redesign. It's it's something that's going to be rolled out here pretty soon. Uh, we want to make it a more inclusive, intuitive shopping experience, and 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 fix some different stuff, make it a little bit more pointed, be a little bit better with our uh, the amount of information we provide with each product, help them understand a little bit more of the why. I don't think that's something that we've we've done a great job with is the why behind our brand. But, you know, we still see that there's a really interesting and engaging shopping experience for people that are attracted to those types of products and those types of brands and have that kind of design aesthetic that we curate for that that are consumers. And they, they are looking to buy cool stuff for their house or they are looking to buy, you know, whatever it is. And when you connect the two together, we just think it makes sense. And we think we're relevant in the marketplace. Yeah. When you think about pouring gas on that fire, what, what are the levers you pull? It's a good question. Right now, the biggest lever that we're looking to pull, believe it or not, is around conversions. It's an internal metric. We have a lot of traffic right now. Just And thank God. I mean, this company has been around for a long time. A lot of people like yourself have, have shared our stuff on Pinterest. So we have so many backlinks. I mean, you know, when I talk to SEO people and they're like, dude, you're, you have like your search engine authority is like off the charts. Uh, and, you know, like I said, we have, you know, several million installs of the app. People interact with the app. If you download the app, it's kind of got an Instagram feel to it. It's uh, really engaging imagery. It's got a social component of it. People kind of scroll and discover and learn new things. So, you know, the average user, I think, opens up the app like five times a week. It's like 5.3x per week in engagement. So our first step right now, because our, our conversion rates are relatively low for the amount of traffic we need to have, and we believe we've identified a lot of these different triggers from providing more context around the products, providing more information, being a little bit more focused and personalized depending on who visits our site. And a lot of our changes right now are focused on that. And we're, we're seeing growth just on organic traffic. As far as fuel to the fire, we think that there's a big opportunity to expand on our, our affiliate mode. We have some technology built into our product that works great for people to, to share. They can kind of almost create their own internal fancy store using our products and then provide them a pretty generous commission on anything that they drive to our site. SEO is an area where we have great authority, but we're not utilizing it as well as we'd like. I think there's a lot of room in regards to optimization. And then, you know, re reactivating those 12 million users that have, have been fancy users 
users in the past, but you know, maybe haven't used the site in a while. We, we, we have not really gone back on acquiring them because we wanted to fix so much of our own house first. You know, we really wanted to get our own house in order. So I think what's really exciting about this opportunity when you think about fuel of the fire is we can do a lot of this without tons and tons of Facebook, Google, uh, Instagram spend because we just have that asset pool that I, I mentioned. So we're, we're going to spend most of our time using our internal assets, try not to spend a ton of money on external marketing or, or, or new customer acquisition, fix the experience. And then at that point, we can determine what we want to do from there. Very interesting. Well, yeah. I know we're kind of winding down for part two here. Regarding this stuff or anything else, what's What's something you're passionate about or what's, what's a soapbox issue for you or what's something you just want to share? Oh man. In, in general, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people. I think I'm like, probably the reason why I'm, I do what I do. I'm like a little like ADD when it comes to doing different stuff. So, you know, I, I, I think during this, this pandemic thing that we were in the home, I picked up painting, started playing the guitar again, built a home gym. So, I mean, you know, I, I try to do things. That's what I would give advice anyway. I, I, I think that that's, that's one of the most fun things in life. Get out there, do different things, pick up new hobbies. Don't stop learning. Don't stop. Don't, don't stop exploring the world. There's so much out there to offer. I think yeah. a lot of people kind of, kind of live in a myopic world. And I, I think it's fun to see what else is uh, available. Well, having formerly lived in, in your part of the world, I, I have thumbs up on San Diego for places to, to uh, yeah. learn new things. Any book recommendations? Books you really enjoyed over the years? You know what I'm reading right now? It's uh, Eric Larson's book on Winston Churchill. Uh, okay. I'm in the middle of reading that now. Eric Larson's done uh, like Devil in the White City and uh, a couple of different books. He does uh, great, great. Uh, they're historical books, but he writes them in a way that you feel like you're reading fiction. So, uh, so those are a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the process of reading that right now. When, I, when people ask me, you know, what what's book would I recommend? Uh, if you're a startup CEO or if you're a founder or thinking about being a startup or running a startup, Read um, uh, The Hard Things uh, About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Great account of just like the reality of like running a startup and making tough decisions and like the crap that happens and the stress you got to live with and the stomach you need to have. Uh, and he's just, just an enjoyable read and it's an amazing story, but he was able to build there. I, so A, thank you for the recommendation because I am a really big Churchill fan but yet I haven't taken the time to read any of the biographies. So I am yeah. going to put that on the wish list. The hard thing about hard things is one of my favorite books. I feel like I get like slight PTSD every time I read it though, because of all my failures and mess ups and stuff that it's like, oh yeah, that happened to me. It's like ripping the scab off. But there's like this, there's an interesting tone about it of like, like an aspect of radical self-honesty that I feel like he brings to it. That's that's so beneficial. I, I'm glad you brought that book up. I'm, I'm such a fan. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, listen, everybody, please, besides downloading the Fancy app, go to Fancy, go to their website, and, and go check out their crowdfunding, their equity crowdfunding campaign here on WeFunder. It's wefunder.com slash fancy. Greg, thanks for making time for this. This has been great. Yeah, Jess, I appreciate it, man. It was great speaking with you. I really, uh, really appreciate you having me on your show. You bet. Bye, everybody.